Oh, no fact check. Hmm. We were perfect last week. Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So, hey, everyone, welcome to episode 307 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell, and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Hyman Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin online in San Jose, California. Hello. Alrighty. So, there's no fact check. We were perfect last week. So, um, yeah. So, Jaime, do we have any Ask MTJC? We do. First one is with uh, with you in mind. Yep. Dan Beauregard, a friend of mine who works for um, Shopify. He used to work for TV Bank as well and uh, did a couple of stints in some other places. Um, he's, he's up in Ottawa and uh, he, uh, when I printed up the masks the first go and they weren't perfect and I said they weren't perfect and Jaime said, I'm not taking one unless it's perfect. I put them out there to the fans and Dan scooped a couple up. So and you can see he's pictured here with a uh, WWDC lottery t-shirt as well. So looks good on you, Dan. And of course, colleague from work, uh, Eric, also commented he liked the post. All right, what's next? He's got the rare uh, brown edition of the t-shirt too, huh? Uh, it's gray, actually. Oh, it's gray? Oh, it, okay. <laughs> yeah. it just looks... Yeah, I thought it was just color correction on it's the... That, it's yeah, that, okay. like it's the maple filter, maple filter the on the light filter. bulbs we have up here, yeah. Mm, the okay. maple, maple lighting we use up here. Anyway, go ahead. Next one we have is from D. Darren Baptiste. It says, uh, hey, ask MTJC, why does it seem many devs don't use CloudKit for projects? I find it amazing, though it's hard to find real-world users where uh, when I get stuck on issues. I use it for video storage in my CopWatch Video Recorder 2.0 at uh, copwatch.app. Well, that's a, a place that, sorry, that's an app, I should say, that uh, you can trigger to record um, citizen and uh, police incidents, and it apparently stores the data, video in this case, into uh, CloudKit. Yeah, it stores it locally, and you can you can, you can make it a private video, or you can, or you can public make it public so other people can see it too. But yeah, it's just a way of quickly capturing stuff. D's a, fr- a friend of the show, actually, too. Um, got mini stickers and stuff as well. Yeah, so yeah, he just launched this app. Uh, I was a beta tester on it for him for a little bit, and sort of he's been explaining to me about it. And um, yeah, so he just launched this week, and I said, well, we'll go ahead and put a shameless plug up there, and we'll we'll talk about it. So it looks pretty good. I think Aaron used to use, used to use uh, CloudKit all the time, too, right? Yeah, I think I mean, he was a, a pretty early adopter of that. And I think if I were to hazard a guess as to why more folks use CloudKit, it, from what I can tell, and maybe it's changed, but it certainly didn't grab my attention for the last probably couple of years in terms of advancements. It always kind of seemed like CloudKit was great if you had, you know, fairly um, fairly limited uses, and it was pretty good at that, right? So I can understand that the, the data storage, data retrieval part works pretty well, and I, I would guess that a lot of folks end up not using it because there are other options out there like, you know, Firebase and it's, you know, Fire Cloud Storage, whatever it's called, that does that plus a whole lot more. So if you wanted to add more, you kind of needed an additional solution. And if you're at that point, you might as well just ignore CloudKit altogether and use sort of the the full meal deal from other providers. And I think CloudKit also has that halo of bad, like bad reputation because it, it was, was it called Core Data in the cloud or something like that? Or back in before the the iCloud Core Data, I think is the, the product yeah. name. Yeah. It was pretty like, I mean, the devs who used it used to like never really said much good about it and it was problematic. And I think they have syncing issues. I, I personally, I think the stuff in, in iCloud is pretty rock solid. Like I use it a lot, actually. My like not as a developer, but as a consumer. Um, I know 
know that stuff I put up in the cloud on my phone will show up on my devices and so on and so forth, right? So, and, and a lot of, um, like that Ferrite app I was using, that that uses iCloud to store stuff as well, right? So, uh, like you yeah. export things. So, the Cloud Kit, in, or sorry, Core Data in the Cloud was actually a slightly different product, and, and it was yeah. bad. Uh, cloud Kit seems pretty good from what I, I can tell. I, I kind of suspect uh, what Jaime says is right, as well as the whole it's not cross-platform piece of it. Oh, so right, I think, yeah. I think yeah. people who are, I mean, there's some people who just want to, you know, store stuff from their app in the cloud. But but for, but a lot of people who are using cloud-based solutions, it's because they want to have, have availability across devices. Uh, so whatever device you're on, you have access to that data and, and you lose that uh, when you're not cross-platform. I suspect that's part of it. Yeah, and I think that the, the, the so much more part that one Jaime was saying too, don't don't you get, like I know with, with Firebase, because it's like piggybacks on Google, you get, um you get, I think, do you, you get notifications? Notifications? I don't know if you do, but you do get um, other things like analytics and stuff like that too, right? Yeah, you can so, do push notifications through Firebase. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and they have a cloud functions thing too, so you have, you know, the beginnings of an API that you could sort of cobble together. And, and Mark's totally right. I completely whiffed on the idea that, like, if you wanted to go cross-platform, there is a JavaScript way to, uh, a JavaScript API that can be used to access CloudKit, but as far as I understand, it's definitely not as nice as having a, yeah. a native solution like you would with something like Firebase. Hmm, cool. Alrighty. Um, yeah, so this is so moving to follow up here. Um, we talked about Clearview AI. Didn't get much of a reaction out of you guys, but um, back in long before COVID, there was there was discussion about you know the, the police forces in Canada, the RCMP, which was our main sort of federal police, if you want to call them that, and um, and the um, uh, Toronto Police Services were using this as well. Um, and it basically uses facial recognition to capture your face and as you wander around the city and that kind of stuff. And, and they use technology to try and recognize they're looking for criminal elements and stuff like that. But uh, it's basically it's a wide net. It's like sort of the minority report thing where they're just ca- grabbing everybody's face. Well, they've announced uh, this week, it was on the news, that they're pulling out of, um, this is, I think this article's link here is, is Apple News, but it's from CBC News. And they're pulling out of, uh, of Canada. Um, so uh, away they go, which is which is good news on one front. Um, but, but you can opt out of their um, their net as well by um, if you want to remove. They've got this site here where you can you can upload an image, and they will uh, use it to match any records that they've made of you. Um, they don't know who you are per se, but they you, they will expunge your records that they have in their their system. Um, of course, the the caveat, of course, is that, that that people are worried about is that you have to upload a picture of yourself, which is kind of I don't know. What are you going to do, right? <laughs> if you want out, you want out, right? Um, yeah. So that's uh, that's the story. That's the follow up on Clearview AI. And uh, this is another one. I think uh, I think it's it's not too early to start talking about this. Um, but I think with every major sort of change in the weather, uh, as far as you know, OSs and, and new versions of Mac OS come along, especially like now that we're looking at a, a kind of significant change coming up, uh, pages cropped up already, uh, listing the apps that are working and are not working and sort of kind of maybe working with Big Sur. And uh, so there's a big long list here of stuff that's working, you know, the usual suspects, one password, Adobe Creative Suite, if, if all the Affinity products, of course, are working, um, BB Edit, you know, uh, let's see, what are the highlights here? Um, Cisco WebEx, stuff like that, Docker, you know, um, Dash, of course, Firefox, FileMaker Pro, that, that, no surprise there. Um 
Google Earth, so on and so forth. But it's and, and then scrolls down to the very end here, pages Proximator Pro, things like that. And then there's a list at the bottom of not working stuff. Um, the Adobe Bridge, which is sort of a, um, a way of connecting the different apps together, apparently at the time of this post was posted, it was not working. Uh, I don't know if it's been fixed yet. Not surprising. I've seen stuff like that. CyberDuck, which is a, uh, an app I use uh, for um, for communicating with my, my CDNs. Uh, they require that I use CyberDuck. It's not working. It's an FTP client. Um, Google Drive file system's not working. Uh, let's see. What else? Um, Office 365. There's a surprise. Uh, the App Store versions work, but not the standalone versions, apparently. Um, Ultimate Kakura. That's my 3D printing software. I'll be staying away from that then, obviously. Let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Visual Studio. Hmm. Interesting. VMware Fusion. Well, there. It's, I like the sort of working, sort of working category. InDesign 2019 and 2020 are sort of working. Um, Mostly working is a good category there. Not the the list of, of sort of working, not mostly working, are very short. And actually, surprisingly, the not working list is is kind of short too, right? But uh, Ableton is uh, a shock. That's a bit of a, that's a music one, right? So that might uh, cause some people some grief. Right? As is pretty typical, you you sign up for a bit of responsibility when you sign up for a beta. And I am glad that yeah, Apple oh yeah. has the the public beta separated from the developer beta, and that it's not too far uh, in terms of time where you don't have people doing uh, silly things like they used to do before. Like, oh man, how do I get, you know, I want, really want to get iOS you know, 7. And I think was when I remember this happening. Oh, just sign up for this developer account. You can download this beta. I'm like, well, unless you're willing to, to live with pain, uh, you, you really shouldn't be signing up for a developer account just to do that. The, the public beta was, is the better solution. But as, as shown here with this list, it doesn't mean that everything works and you, you just sort of, you live on the bleeding edge with that. Yeah, that's true. So, um, uh, yeah, so the public beta is out now too, right? For iOS and for, um, for Mac OS, right? I think it came out last week. I think so. I think the first public beta, which is different than the second developer beta, I remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little, a little closer to to production, I guess, right? As far as that goes. Yep. Yeah. So that's the, the. We'll have a link in the show notes for people if you want to look through some of the apps that are there and keep an eye on that page. Hopefully, it gets updated over time. There you go. Um. Oh, and this is another one too. We uh, Apple has updated their coding programs, and this, of course, makes sense. They did this last year when they when they rolled out Swift UI. Um, initially, they they they've updated their coding course is for programmers and uh, students and, and educators. Um, so there's a big link here. This is a press release on Apple's newsroom, but it was I've seen it in other places too. So they've updated all their, their iBook uh, offerings. And uh, yeah, so if you want to learn, if you, if you know somebody wants to learn this stuff or you want to learn or brush up on it, um, you know, the Everyone Can Code series of books. And of course, the um, uh, they were also Everyone Can Code is also on the uh, uh, Swift Playgrounds. I think it's Swift Playgrounds on the Mac now too, right? So yeah, you can learn, uh, learn to code in sort of rudimentary Swifty kind of ways. That's cool. And then, uh, so this is an interesting story. I, I, I saw this one earlier today and, and it has nothing to do with Apple, I don't think. And I think uh, having having watched Randy Ritchie's video, which we're going to go to in a little bit, um, this kind of story makes a little less sense than, than initially. But it says here that SoftBank is mulling the sale of ARM, its ARM holdings, and could Apple be a potential buyer? I don't know. Um, so that's obviously based on uh, the, the connection to Apple is based on the fact that Apple's announced that they're moving to Apple Silicon uh, in in the future, which is built on ARM ideas, but not necessarily built on ARM itself, right? Or built by ARM. But um, yeah, so I don't know if you guys had a quick glance at this short little article here. Yeah, I, I think it's 
pretty unlikely that Apple would buy ARM. It doesn't fit their business model at all. No, no. Uh, they would have to support a lot of, of chip design companies, right. uh, and it's just a completely different product from what they from what they do. Now, I could see them becoming an investor. That's a different story. Right. Uh, just you know, a, they invest some money, and in return, they get favorable uh, deals on their licenses or special support or whatever it is. I could see that, or they just get you know return on their investment, whatever. I could see that happening, but buying them outright, I I don't think that's likely personally. All right. Cool. All right. Yeah. Okay. So when uh, I mean, I can take over this. I was looking at the story yesterday, wondering. I heard that the ruling was being made today. I guess this is now official. Yeah. I, who knows if Apple will buy ARM Holdings? But you know what? They as of right now have a whole lot more cash in hand to do so should they decide. So this is follow up because uh, folks might remember the story where the European Union had uh, had slapped both Apple and Ireland and said you can't have this really really favorable uh, um, tax situation like, yeah. in in your one member nation of, of the EU and that that would qualify as illegal state aid uh, and I believe they the EU the European Union won that first round and then on the appeal which is what we're talking about here in the next higher court um, the commission said no actually the European Union didn't really prove its case that this um, you know w- ran afoul of the law now I will point out that we will almost certainly talk about this in the future so future follow-up uh, clairvoyant follow-up because uh, there is a Supreme Court of some sort that is next as far as I understand right right I, I mean it's funny because Apple's been in Ireland for a long time I mean I think the um, you know I don't know if you remember I think I it was like part of the internet bubble Ireland became a big tech hub and I think Apple's tech support went to Ireland for a while and I know that they're some of the machines were made there too because or assembled there, I guess. Um, I remember. I'm, I think the power PCs used to come from Ireland, if I'm not mistaken, like the actual desktop ones, right? So yeah, I think they or, have a, maybe, a big data center there too in in Ireland. Again, for these uh, you know these tax reasons, and they've really helped build up some industry there. I, I really can't get into the politics of you know is this illegal state aid? I'm I'm not a lawyer. I'm certainly not a European Union Commission lawyer. Um, but it it is uh, an interesting part of the the global strategy for this because if you if you didn't have apple doing that there from ireland's perspective it's like well then we wouldn't have this industry right now right yeah, we wouldn't have the knock-on yeah. effects but that isn't to say that there wouldn't have been you know some other nation or or other part of the european union would have benefited from that so it's 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 really terribly complicated it it feels a slightly uh out of date just because we're in a in a very forced remote world right now so i, I don't know what this will practically mean for the future but it it does strike me as one of those things like again not a lawyer but when i read what the commission is saying here it's like well there's a difference between the sort of moral question of should apple be contributing more of its taxable base to the european union and, and i don't know that's a completely separate question from what is the letter of the law of what are they required to pay um which gets it uh, a different question that you might hear people asking about, which is, uh, I want to point out again in this follow-up that there is a very big difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion. So tax avoidance is, you know, I'm not going to do this thing that will cause me to have higher taxes. Um, that's avoidance, and that is totally 100% legal. Everybody who is listening to this show absolutely does that, right? Whether you're, you're consciously doing it or not, you're like, yeah, I, I won't exercise this thing on May 1st. I'm going to do it on January 1st. So there's 
you know, a more favorable tax environment. Tax evasion is the kind of thing that Wesley Snipes, the, you know, the actor who went to prison for, which is you owe this money and you do not pay it, right? Like you actually factually owe this money and you did not pay it. Again, that's very separate from the, uh, the, the moral issues about contributing to society and et cetera. But I'm, I'm always paying attention to what did they put in the headline? Is it tax avoidance or tax evasion? Is tax evasion is like, whoa, yeah, somebody needs to be going to prison unless they can prove they're innocent. Uh, tax avoidance is like, yeah, you're, you're trying to, to, to write a hit piece on them, right? <laughs> like they're, 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 it may be morally incorrect, but not legally incorrect. I think that, yeah, this, this story goes back with us back to 20, like it says 2016 here, which I'm, I'm going to say is probably true. And I think that what I remember about it, and again, not a lawyer, not a tax, not a financial advisor either, but uh, what I remember about it is that I think, you know, Ireland wanted to build an industry. Apple had, had a need to have somebody do, do work for them. Uh, the two of them came together and said, hey, you know, we'll, we'll give you, if you come and support us and help us build an industry, we'll give you a break on the taxes. You know what? Canada does it with, with Hollywood. We're, we're Toronto here. We're called Hollywood North because you can come and make movies here for less money than you would t- it would cost you to make a movie in the United States. Is that Hollywood now avoiding taxes? Sorry, yeah, they are avoiding. They're, they're, they're saving money, right? I mean, at the end of the day, they're talking about a lot, a lot of money that these things cost. We're not talking about, you know, assembling a single phone or, ta- or computer. We're talking about assembling hundreds and thousands of them, right? Or even millions of them potentially, right? So, so anyway, I think, you know, a lot of industry has left the United States over the last 20 or 30 years, you know, going to Mexico, going to China, going to, you know, back in, even back in Maine, Japan was a thing back in the day, right? Um, so yeah, I think that, that manufacturing goes to where the cost savings is. That makes total sense, right? So, yeah. and then, you know, when European came along and said, hey, look, this, this, this money sitting on the table that we should have been able to get back. I think that's what caused the story in, in 2016, right? And uh, yeah, cool. So I'm, you know, I don't know. Am I happy for Apple? I don't know. They got more money than, than me. So why should I feel happy for them? But I, I think this is good news for them. Good news for us, I guess, as consumers too, right? You're a shareholder. You should be happy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot I'm a shareholder. I'm really happy now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that big of a shareholder. Buy more shares. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I don't know if I would right now. They keep uh, going up. You know, I can't keep up. I was buying them on the way down and I lost a bit of money, but I made it back and they got out. They hit almost 400 last week. Did they? Yeah, they were 380 or something, right? I think it was even higher. That was the fact check from last week. You said 300 and they were at 380 at the time. That was our last week's fact fact check. So, anyway. Oh, they closed at 390 today. Well, see, there you go. So, the uh, the, 52 week high was 399.82. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What happened to that last, you know, 12 cents or 18 cents? Anyway, um, that was my quick math. I mean, what's up? You know, even though this is the, the summer of, of betas in iOS 14 and, and et cetera, Big Sur is everybody's mind. Let's, let's not forget that there continue to be updates to iOS 13 and other parts of the platform. So uh, iOS and iPadOS 13.6, macOS and yep. 15.6 and watchOS 6.28 have been released. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about, we joked about the, BMW 5 Series being the ultimate dongle for your <laughs> dongle, phone. Yeah. Uh, and you don't yeah. need, as we noted then, just as a reminder, you don't need iOS 14 for that. Um, this latest version of iOS 13 will let you do the unlock lock and start your compatible car with your iPhone. And and I noticed the power reserve lets you unlock and start your car for up to five hours after iPhone wow. runs out of battery, which I'm sure oh. there's very sensible technical ways. But before 
remarks tells us those. What I want to remind people <laughs> of is when I read this, um, I said, you know, this reminds me of the old sitcom Married with Children, where uh, Al Bundy, the uh, shoe salesman, uh, prototypical father, uh, he decided that he needed to go make extra money by selling blood. And he went to various different blood donation sites and his family asked him, how much blood did you sell? He's like eight pints. Like what? But there's only eight pints in the body. He's like, there's only eight pints in the body, but the brain hides a little more. Okay. Yeah, and that's what this. It's well, a very long way to say that's what this feature feels like. But I know that there's a more sensible solution to this. No, actually, I think I think that's exactly the answer. Is that is that the when the battery is quote dead on on your iPhone, it's not really. They they put a lot of uh, not a lot, but they put they put some margin in there because they don't want it running all the way down to zero. If it goes down to zero, it it can damage the actual battery. So they they claim it's they claim it's low or they claim it's empty when it's not really empty. There's also some services they want to keep alive, right? They, if it really, really went dead, they couldn't do certain things like this, for example. They decided this was an important enough feature. Probably doesn't happen all that often. Uh, so when you when you're still down below that, whatever that magic threshold is, where they're telling you it's empty, but it's really not because it's enough to keep things, certain critical things going, like the secure enclave and whatnot. Uh, they're keeping this going too. I think that's all there is to it. Yeah, and I, I do know that from past experience that um, the find my phone works when the phone is dead too. So yep. there's obviously yep. a little bit of a little capacity left over after yep. after things are, are done, right? Yeah. Because Carol lost her phone once in Calgary, and and I was sitting here in Toronto using find my phone to watch the phone or watch the phone drive around the city until till it was returned to Carol. So kind of that was kind of a fun exercise. Like you know the it sh- I have a screenshot of it showing that the the phone has got zero power but i could see where it would have been traveling on the map right which is kind of cool that was back in the old skeuomorphic days too so so what else have we got here coming in the ios 13 it was a few things right and the apple news apple, one has the news. audio okay. stories that are professionally narrated versions of some of the best reads from apple news plus hmm. so it's it's kind of like having a podcast for your your news which is, is interesting he's got a podcast these days yeah 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 cycle tracking in the uh in the ekg was that or oh, that's different kind of cycling it's not like bicycle bicycle it's oh, is that in WatchOS? Yeah, in the health. In health, yeah, it's a different kind of cycling. Um, oh, new symptoms like fever, chills, sore throat, coughing. I wonder why we'd want to keep track of that. Uh, yeah, so those can be stored now as well. It's funny, like all the sharing stuff. I just got to say that about you know, the health sharing stuff is also set up for the United States. It doesn't really sort of... We do have medical records here stored digitally uh, in Canada, but it doesn't seem to work with the um, the Apple stuff yet. So it's kind of an interesting thing. This is pretty obscure. Fixes an issue that causes some phone calls from Saskatchewan to appear as originating from the United States. That is you know the Sask- most MTJC bug <laughs> I have ever heard. Well, you know those so, Saskatchewanians, is that how it's pronounced? So, yeah. so, so if anybody is in Saskatchewan listening to the show, you can hit us up with an Ask MTJC. I know we have, um, uh, what's her name? Um, we have a fan in, in Winnipeg, which is kind of on the way to Saskatchewan. Um, so what, is it Saskatchewanians or Saskatchewanians or... Oh, who knows? It's a, yeah, okay. it's a uh, indigenous term, uh, so, you know, basically 
the name of the name of the city or whatever. Right, but there's um, there's like a whole set of things that go into what do you consider. So Seattle folks are Seattleites, which is are they somewhat we're, less we're typical than like you know Torontonians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The E N or A N sort of ending. Uh huh. I'm just hitting the old uh, Google right now. Um, Saskatchewanians is what I'm going to go with. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Saskatoon is in Saskatchewan, and there's a famous song by the guess who called Running Back to Saskatoon. I know some people from Saskatoon. Do you? Yep. Uh, oh, here. <laughs> for a second there, it says people from Quebec are called Quebecers. Hmm. As for Saskatchewans, are called. Aren't they Quebecois or something like that? No? Quebecois, yeah. Well, Quebecois? yeah. Quebecers. We, uh, yeah. It's Depends like on, on which side of the border you're on, I guess. Quebec, no, Quebecois is probably the, the proper pronunciation. Yeah. It says here. Um, yeah, they're, they're saying like Saskatchewans. Saskatchewanians or something. Do, 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 do. Where's the answer? So somebody here says, I lived in Saskatchewan. I live in Saskatchewan. I've heard a lot of different names. We're referred to as Saskatchewanian, Saskatchewanite, and Saskatchewananans. <laughs> uh, think the first is most successful. So the Saskatchewanian, probably the, probably the most... Uh, Proper term. Ontarians? Yeah, we call ourselves Ontarians. Yeah, so I guess it's similar to Saskatchewanians. Like Ontarians is what they call us here, I guess, right? And there's a whole bunch of derogatory terms on this I'm not going to go into. Uh, hmm. Interesting. So when I lived in Vancouver, they used to call uh, Saskatchewan the Middle East. Because everything's east of Vancouver, right? Alrighty. Um, hmm. Well, before we we move on, I'm because I noticed the WatchOS that the ECG app on uh, the Apple Watch and the irregular heart rhythm notifications are now available in Bahrain, Brazil, and South Africa. So I don't know if we have any fans in any of those places. So please reach out to us. Hashtag AskMTJC. Let us know. And if you are from Saskatchewan and we have besmirched the way you refer to yourselves, also let us know. I'm kind of <laughs> curious to hear the pronunciation of that. You know what? You know, similar to Seattleites or would you say Torontonians? Torontonians. Uh, Ontarians, San Francisco. Wait, wait, what do you what do you call yourselves, Mark? Californians. Well, I mean, for, from from being from San Jose. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking about that, and we don't really have a word for it that is commonly used, which is interesting. We probably say we're from Cal- we're Californians if we say anything. Mm. Uh, there's a derogatory term. <laughs> um, there always is. <laughs> oh come on! Can well, we bleep it? For the, derog- we probably- the derogatory term is is San Ho. San Ho. Hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sensible, yeah, but um, yeah, I don't really know to be honest. It's a, it's kind of a funny one. Hmm. San Hosean, San. Ho- it doesn't San have a, it doesn't have a good, you know, way yeah, to to lean really into work. the yeah. typical. Yeah, yeah. We did have a fan in South Africa. He moved to Toronto, though. Our friend of the show, Elad. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, uh, is that it for this uh, update? We don't know what else is in here, right? There, there was other stuff in uh, iPadOS, macOS that roughly matched up with. Um, with the iOS side. Yeah, but the car keys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bug fixes and improvements. That's what we all, we all say on our um, our release notes, right? <laughs> Bug fixes and improvements. <laughs> I like how the HomePod section way down at the bottom, it's not even a section, it's like a word. is like, hey, by the yeah. way, HomePod got fixed too, but like, there's no new features. <laughs> Just we, HomePod, we still, still here, still for sale. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pick up two. All right. Um, yeah, I don't know why they don't do a BOGO on the HomePods, you know? Buy one, get one. And I mean, if I was going to do 
that, I would do it in actually right about now, maybe August in yeah. anticipation of a September, October release of a new device. So just clear out that inventory, you know, was, Tim Cook's garage is very filled with these things. He finally got rid of the iPhone SEs, the original, and now he's, he's got to clear out some space in his garage. Uh, this is a really quick note and it's not meant to, to get anybody super excited, but, uh, cause it's follow up because it's the show, but the, the headline says Apple files path to Apple card patent application in Canada. Uh, doesn't mean that the uh, Apple card is coming soon. It just means that they're laying down the, I think they're trying to protect the intellectual property name and things like that. Like they had to buy, I think they had to buy iPhone from, uh, from a company up here when it first came to Canada. Um, remember the name of the company. Yeah. They had real it. problems with iOS down here with Cisco. Did they? Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah. Cause every now and then you, you see a job application that's Cisco iOS, right? Right. To this day. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, they've uh, back in July of 20, oh, back in July, 2019, they, they filed this thing. So why was, why is this a story today? Hmm. Oh, today they filed the, the path, path to Apple card brand name. In Canada. I, I realize now that yeah. we never actually talked about this on the show, I don't think, but I did get one of those ads that says, you know, Hey, were you denied for your Apple card application? I'm like, no, I wasn't. Good job. <laughs> Selecting your yeah, newsletter yeah. addressees. Uh, but if I had been somebody who had been denied, the path to Apple card is supposed to be a, a series of things that Goldman Sachs believes is like, oh, these are the things you could do that would you know help your 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 credit score and, and other factors that they take into account when they, they decide, you know, will you get even you know the worst possible agreement for the Apple card? Um, so it's, I, I don't understand the patent part. I understand the trademark part. That definitely makes sense. I'm, I'm less clear on the, the patentability of this, but um, nevertheless, they, they did do something similar here in the United States. And it, it kind of makes sense that you would get all your, you know, your legal intellectual property all lined up if you were anticipating a launch. No promises, as right, we mentioned, right. but it, it kind of smells like there will be an Apple card soon in Canada. So interesting, interestingly enough, in the article, they never mention a patent. It's all about the trademark. Oh, did so, I say patent? I mean, no, okay. no, the, the headline, headline did. Yeah. The headline did. Oh, okay, okay. But it doesn't seem to say that in the article. That's kind of fun. Mm, Bad editing on the website. Oh, well, it's just the story. Same same author here has brought us another little tidbit here. Patrick O'Rourke of Mobile Syrup um, has posted a second article here. Well, there's a number of them, actually. And I, I didn't... There's another angle to this story, too. And it's basically, it says Apple reportedly plans to release a 13-inch, 14-inch, and 16-inch ARM-based MacBook. Well, see, we're going to have an argument about the ARM-based term in a minute. But, um, or at least it's on its own silicon, just around the corner. So people are anticipating that by the end, the fourth quarter of 2020, uh, we may see, be seeing some new MacBooks, which Mark kind of, you know, predicted a couple of weeks ago. Um, and you've been predicting the 14-inch for a while anyway, right? Um, but there was also just... Uh, yeah, but I didn't think they'd do a 13-inch. I thought they'd replace the 13-inch with the 14-inch. Yeah, I, the that, make, that makes more sense to me. 16. That makes yeah. more, unless, unless they're going to get rid of that or replace that 12-inch option that they had before. Um, but anyway, so... Oh, oh so, actually, the 13-inch could be the could be the MacBook Air and the 14-inch right. could be the MacBook Pro. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, with the wider screen and all that kind of stuff. And, and I had I had saw another headline too, but I didn't grab it, that basically said that... Uh, there's a, this is from Ming-Chi Kuo, of course, uh, these, this particular rumor. Um, yeah, and or, or yeah, it says here that he's not predicting. He's not claiming that hey, I'm, I'm going to do. I'm not going to say. Or I'm going to say Apple Silicon iMac um, instead of saying that other word, a word. But um, yeah, so uh, but he, but other people are predicting that by 2021 we'll see an iMac based and a, and a Mac Mini. I've heard too, uh, based on the uh, on the new Apple Silicon chip, whatever it'll be. Because um, I mean that's the part of the whole 
plan, and we'll talk about that in the next video here, where we talk about Rene Ritchie's video. It's, it's not wrong to call it ARM-based, even, no, okay. even, with, even yeah. within the, defini- the, the, the sort of stricter definition that Rene Ritchie is, is using, because uh, it does still use the ARM instruction set. Sure. Okay, yeah, yeah. So let, let's actually d- dive into that. So just before the show, I was poking around, waiting for things to, waiting for some progress bars to go by. So I flipped on YouTube and caught up on the latest uh, um, v- video from uh, Rene Ritchie the today called he was wrong about the arm he says and uh, a couple of points that he talks about and, and I asked Mark and I mean to have a look at this before so we could talk about it um, that it's not that Apple's using so there's two ways you, could, you can use arm you can either have you can design your your chip or whatever you can send it over to arm and they'll make it for you right Mark and then the second version is you use their, their arm instruction set which Apple is doing here or was doing yeah. to build their own chip so not, the, not the quite A4, on the first one though okay well we, we can correct you. So the yeah. A4 was originally their f- sort of first silicon on a chip, which was a licensed design from ARM. So that's more like the first version, right? I believe, right? And by the time they got to A6, a couple of years later, this was purely Apple designed because because Steve Jobs and those guys hired a bunch of chip designers to work at Apple, right? Um, to to basically create uh, this system on a chip for Apple. And, um, and they yeah, actually, they actually and, acquired a company called Palo Alto Palo Alto Semiconductor. I need some people right. to work okay. there. Yeah. Cool. yeah, and so and to, to sort of round off what, what the points that Rene talks about, I'm not going to talk about, we'll, we'll discuss it in a minute because I'm sure we all have a different perspective, but just to sort of lay the groundwork that what we were talking about earlier with, with Apple buying ARM or, or not buying ARM or whatever, the difference between Apple making chips and other companies making chips, other companies have to make chips that satisfy a larger market, like more equipment, they have to sell it to other people, whereas Apple doesn't care. Apple has one customer, right, themselves, and so they're basically building chips for purposes as opposed to trying to build a chip like Intel does and market it out to, or Qualcomm does and market it out to other places. And that's part of the reason why, you know, like Apple can do this now because they've got the the capability. Anyway, so I'll, I'll let you guys sort of riff on the what Rene Ritchie was talking about. But just the gist that we're, we're thinking about wrong, arm wrong again. <laughs> we're holding it wrong. And anyway, get, so dig, dig in. Just a real-time fact check. So you mentioned that you could have arm build build a chip for you and that's not true arm is not a foundry they don't actually manufacture the silicon okay what they do do is license ip to you so you can you can buy a design for a more or less fully functional chip or piece oh, of okay. a chip usually right. it's a piece of a chip like a core is it because you'll hear people talk about arm cores a lot uh and you take that you take that piece and you drop that into your existing design and build stuff around it uh and then you take that and you get it manufactured at some foundry like Pylon sure. Semiconductor or or uh, or even Intel uh, or other places, there's other places as well. So that's the first model where you're licensing IP, and the second model is exactly what you said, where you're just licensing the the use of the instruction set, and you build your entire your entire uh, silicon custom, which is what Apple has migrated to. Right, and the other the other thing too that interesting point that Rene talks about is the fact that you know when you put together an Intel computer, you have to you you, you have a CPU, you have a GPU, you have other things, you have like the T2 chip that Apple has built to sort of make all the things work that they don't get out of all those other things, whereas now they're basically designing, like in the iPad, for instance, they're designing a chip, a single chip that has all of these different purposes built in. That's the whole idea behind a system on a chip, right, Mark? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so you're building the entire, you know, But again, it was, it was all that, always that way when you when you uh, used ARM cores, even, because because it is just a core piece, and you would always put other stuff on there. So I think, I think you overstated that part of it a little bit. I, I, 
and I understand why I was just trying to, he was trying to make a point about it. Um, yeah, I mean, no one, no one really thought that Apple was just buying an off the shelf design from ARM and using that, you know. So, in that sense, no, it's not an ARM, it's an ARM chip. They have been doing all these things pretty custom for years, like, uh, like you said. Uh, and, and it, and of course, and it makes a lot of sense that they would start with a, with a, uh, a license core piece of IP and then, and then over time build more and more of their own and eventually not even use, not even use anything that's licensed. But, but all of the software for it is all, has been using this same ARM instruction set all this time while they were using the license cores. So it makes sense to just continue the software stack in the same way, but build, but rebuilding the silicon custom from inside. So that makes a lot of sense. Now he did have a really valid point about the way that they can tune every aspect of the design uh, for exactly the purpose they want for the per particular feature. Uh, and because they're not trying to make any kind of off the shelf part or even a even an application specific part, which is which is a big part of the chip industry application specific ICs where you need a chip, you go to some design house and they design a custom for you. There's still a lot of overhead involved in that. Uh, now Apple doesn't care about that overhead because it's all internal and they're a big enough company that yeah they can they can afford to do that and it really does give them a competitive advantage like like you said in the in the video. So overall it's a yeah I thought it was a really good video. Uh, the, the last couple of minutes of of non ads <laughs> quote non ads were kind of ad like to me in in my hearing but you know but that's just me. Yeah, how did you get the impression they were not ads? Because he said he said we don't we don't have ads. Oh really? Oh, yeah. Okay. He actually um, said no no that. he was he was talking about the service that they're that they're putting this stuff on. Well, he like said, this. you know, he said there are videos with no ads, right? Well, yeah, no, he's talking about his video. Yeah, on the other services, we'll let it go. Right? We'll let it go. <laughs> yeah, he's talking. He's talking about this service he's standing up because he was basically bashing YouTube. YouTube gets yeah. a lot of a lot of flack for from people for. I mean, I watch a lot of music stuff on YouTube. Yeah, um, I'll tell you about one I just watched the other day too. But the you know you're watching something and all of a sudden in the, in the middle of a crucial point they pop in an ad like it's just oh. and it's so badly timed. You know? bet, yeah. I've seen it in a live stream too, which is really annoying because if, yeah. if you're not paying attention, it, it pops up this thing saying, "Oh, we're gonna stop the video in a second, and you have to click don't do it." And at least they let oh, you really? do that. At least they let you do oh. that for the live stream. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but if you don't do that, then your live stream is is uh, is paused, and you miss stuff. I think it was kind of interesting to discuss what Apple has been doing beyond just you know the you know, switching away from Intel um, and and talking about it as not being specifically about ARM, even though that happens to be an implementation detail. It's more about controlling that whole part of the experience that's really critical. Um, and I thought that was an interesting way to look at it, very similar to the, um, what did he mention? Um, probably face recognition stuff and other you know machine learning type stuff that's baked into the silicon and and not necessarily um, off on a server somewhere, uh, counter to like a way that the, a lot of the industry does it, which is, which is pretty interesting because it does give them advantages, right? Um, and it, it certainly speaks to the you know, having stuff that is uh, not just there and like we really hope somebody would use it, but like has some compelling use case. Like you said, they didn't deliver NFC, they delivered, you know, Apple Pay. Um, now they've, you know, added, you know, programmable NFC capabilities beyond there, but it wasn't like, hey, here's NFC. I sure hope somebody does something interesting. I was like, well, here's something <laughs> you really care about, right? You want Apple Pay. Look how easy it is to not have your wallet with you sort of thing. And uh, very similar for uh, ARM and 64-bit. It wasn't like, yeah, just, you know, for fun, we've 
we feel like changing the entire world. It was like, no, they were, they were heading towards something, which I think is, is a consistent thing that, uh, I think even here on the show, I'm definitely guilty of like not, not seeing exactly where they're going and, and always looking at, well, what does this one little bit of information tell us rather than, you know, like here and looking backwards than it is like, well, here projecting forwards, what could that mean? Yeah. And it's interesting that his point about the fact that they're not trying to make like max faster, like they're specifically faster. They're just trying, they're trying to make purpose ready devices, right? So they're not concerned about whether this Mac is faster than that PC or, you know, like when they introduced the 64 bit, he was talking about the fact that, that they brought the first 64 bit to the mobile world, right? Like nobody had thought of doing that before or nobody was willing to do that. In fact, Qualcomm is still uh, selling 32 bit gear, right? Even, even this late in the game, right? So it's a, it's a good video. Like, yeah, definitely, definitely uh, suggest people watch it. I mean, it is a bit, a bit of editorializing, which is why I wanted Mark to sort of, you know, give it the technical review. Um, oh, it, was, yeah. it was good. Yeah. I, I at first thought, when I first started watching it, I thought it wasn't going to be as good as it actually was. To be oh, really? Okay, good. Yeah, because it's it's a kind of a sensationalized headline, but but, uh, yeah. but it was actually a good video. All right, let's move on to the main meat of the show, honey. Yeah, speaking of, you know, interesting text stuff, um, this is a usage that hadn't really come to my mind for the Face ID sensors. You know, you can get uh, pretty, you know, good quality data for, you know, a, a device that fits in your pocket. And Unreal, the makers of the Unreal engine that's commonly used for 3D games, uh, one of the engines, I should say, there's there are competitors, they've released a tool called uh, Live Link Face, which is an iPhone app that, uh, to be clear, is not meant for, you know, your very large budget games. Those folks are still going to use very specialized hardware uh, and rooms set up for that sort of motion capture thing. But if you're an independent developer and you're looking to get, you know, a lot of the same kind of ability to do face mapping and, and do uh, animations based on you know, facial expressions, you know, having a motion captured actor, this is sort of the, the, the hobbyist equivalent of that. So I thought that was kind of a neat use of that. Well, I guess the idea is you record your, your face as, as a, an actor would and then map it to something. Like, it's kind of, I guess like the Memoji animations you kind of get, but like on a little higher quality level. Yeah, or I, I'm hoping it at least gives you, and, and this is not my area of expertise, I'm, I'm hoping this gives you like a good starting point. I, I'd imagine that you wouldn't probably get real good quality just like, oh, you know, just as is, just put it in the can, it's done. It's it's probably more, all right, well, here's where it did pretty well. And then it, it got a little weird and twitchy when I made this expression. So I'm going to have to smooth that out as an animator. There's, there's still a lot of craft to it. It's not just turn on motion capture and done, but it's another tool in the toolbox to help ease the amount of effort it would take. So you're not starting from square one when it comes to these animations. Right. Cool. Yeah. I think, I think if you were like, like you said, a game dev- developer, game designer, especially like an un- unreal, you want to have something that, that looks realistic, right? You know, so, I mean, previously they would have had to hire a digital artist to create the facial expression and stuff like that. This gives them a leg up. Right. Cool. What, do you, what else you got for us? You know, uh, Swift UI is definitely top of mind coming out of WWDC. And here's an article from uh, Majid Jabrailov at uh, swiftmajid.com. What's new in Swift? And I took a look. I'm like, all right, some things we, we have talked about on this show, like the, the really nifty, cool, you know, app structure that you can have or just a, an at main with a 
struct and your scene builder. And that's really cool. I'm like, that's great. Uh, we did talk about uh, lazy stacks and grids in some of the, the question of like, why would I ever not use a lazy one? Are there, are there performance implications? Is there, is there, you know, reasons I should ever think about this critically? You probably should, but I kind of wonder like, well, why not? Why not just replace it all? And I think we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about uh, scroll view. We may not have talked about text editor. We talk about text editor existing as a, a new component in Swift UI. No, I just, but I just watched the video by Paul Hudson about it. So interesting. Yeah. I mean, code wise, it looks pretty straightforward. And as I read this here, this is uh, roughly a, a replacement for text view. Is, is that accurate based on the additional detail you have? Yeah, I don't know. So Paul was doing a demonstration on how to do like a, a document based note taking app. Um, and he was using the text editor as the engine for, for creating the, the, you know, basically the view where you type into, you know, your document where you sort of like your input field, I guess, right? Like, like you said, like text area or text field, what do they call it in iOS? Text field, I guess, right? Text view. Well, the text, text, view. text, text field is the, is the editable one. Yeah. Text view yeah. is the multi-line right. one. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I think t- text editor, if I'm not mistaken, is multi-line as well, too. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like it's kind of a mixture of the two because it looks like you can, you can, uh, well, I mean, yeah. with the text view, you could edit in it as well and enter text in it as well. So, so yeah. it's interesting, just as a sidebar, I was watching on the, one of the videos I was watching by Paul Hudson today was he was showing the date picker, the new date picker. The new date picker is not like we, like I kind of got out, I came out of the, the video on it t- thinking you were getting like a calendar view. You still have the sort of uh, the one-armed bandit sort of ja- um, slot machine kind of look, but it's not as not as fugly as it used to be. It's a little, little smoother design, but it's still that sort of spinny wheel kind of date selectors, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so okay, sorry, back to, back to Jaime, back to the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Beyond text editor, there are uh, new property wrappers. I don't know if we talked about all these, but I have definitely have seen mm-hmm. people talking about like, oh, here is this snippet of code you can add to your project that lets you deal with user defaults in a very uh, Swift UIE kind of way. But now you don't have to because mm-hmm. there is an at app storage that accesses user defaults. So they, they've done the oh, work nice. for you. So that's nice. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah all crazy. of that weird like, okay, so deal with like booleans and and the third state of what if it's not even there kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff. I, I assume that's covered in app storage. Yeah. So this is the first I've heard of this, but it automatically updates user defaults as soon as you make a change. That's pretty amazing. Nice. Yeah. 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 The nice. example that's he has here is this, yeah. this toggle for an uh, is notifications enabled, which sadly yeah. there's no, you know, like a, an animated GIF would have been really helpful for me to, to, to see this <laughs> in, in real yeah. life. But I, I, I take your word for it, Majid, that this is how, how that works. Cool. That's pretty yeah. nifty. Yeah. And there's a, a scene storage property wrapper for automatic state restriction. Apparently it works similar to app storage, but instead of user default, it uses per scene storage managed by the system. Is this like the, um, like the rehydrating your views thing that's, I forget what it's called in UI app state. Is that what it is? Is it app state? Well, the state object thing here is, is the sort, I think that's the sort of, um, that's what we're talking about right now. Yeah. This is, this is yeah, it, uh, rehydrates is exactly like it freeze dries it for a minute and then you come back to it, it rehydrates it. And so you're not losing. So you can have this sort of store that's uh, get, uh, sort of universally available to you. That's how, that's how I understand it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm drawing a complete blank as to what the UI kit equivalent was where you could restore the state of your UI um, sort of automagically. Storyboard? <laughs> it was, I mean, it, <laughs> but no, it was the, yeah, it was a state, state restoration. 
library or something like that. I don't think people used it all that much. <laughs> and rounding things out, I think we did mention uh, MapKit and uh, AV Player related stuff. So, you know, there's um, all sorts of new stuff that was added. I'm glad to see some of these lists, even though, you know, some of this we have talked about. It was like, oh, look, App Storage, that's new. I'm glad because there's so much that was sort of added that wasn't necessarily like going to jump out in a video. So we'll, we'll be teasing apart all these little nuggets over the coming months, I'm sure. Have you guys have you guys finished watching all the videos yet? No. <laughs> I haven't I'm, even come close. I've watched maybe half a dozen. Pretty sad. Yeah. I, I haven't watched TV in the last week or so, but I've been spending my time on YouTube and, and playing around with things like that. But uh, and then just like I said, just before the show, I watched a bunch of... Paul Hudson's got these short little, and I'll put a link in the show notes, a short, you know, two-minute, five-minute sort of little uh, exposés on, this, on the stuff that's new. And one of the things I like, I just saw him do Sprite Kit in a view, basically in a you know, Swift, Swift UI view, and he just you know quickly made a little box, and he had like a little red block uh, icon, which is sort of a default thing he created in in, um, in Swift in sorry Sprite Kit. And then yeah, you click the click the button, and it just starts dropping boxes. You get physics for free and all that kind of stuff. And it was like one or two lines of code. It was like really crazy short, you know. So uh, if you've done any scene kit stuff, or sorry. Uh, What's it called? Sprite Kit. If you don't need Sprite Kit stuff, it's it's quite uh, it gets quite extensive. But yeah, it's kind of cool that they've what they're putting into Swift UI, taking a lot of uh, getting rid of a lot of the boilerplate code. I think is what the what I'm trying to say, right? On to collection views. Yeah, you know, as as nifty cool as Swift UI is, and, and as much as I personally believe that it is definitely the future, even if it's not necessarily quite the present, even with everything that's been added, uh, your mm-hmm. kilometerage may vary depending on your particular use case. But you know what? Apple didn't just leave you out in the cold if you like UI kit and an app kit they were like hey we got you so they did do some really cool stuff with collection view we had talked a little bit about this and i hadn't and i still honestly haven't still haven't seen the video related to this but this blog post by uh keith harrison about creating lists with collection view i'm like oh yeah now i understand some of these snippets we talked about maybe a week or two ago of all right here's your very straightforward config for creating lists and with the very nice visuals of here's what these different options mean and how they really do visually mimic UI table view sort of of layouts right for plain grouped and inset grouped and you can have uh, the new sidebar stuff uh, of course he does talk about a difficult data source but i want to jump way down to modern cell configuration because the snippets with no other context because i hadn't seen the wwdc video didn't make sense mm-hmm. i'm like what's happening here but now that i see the collection of them no pun intended of cell subtitle cell value cell plain header group footer i'm like oh now i understand why tim was saying remember how table cells had like these very um, mm-hmm. straightforward defaults of like, all right, if you don't want to build your own layout, we've got one for you. It's, you know, the very old school style iPod, you know, detail, or sorry, title and then subtitle and then maybe an optional um, image on the side. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what they did. They made it so you can very quickly throw together something right out of the box um, without having to configure much. Uh, but if you really want to, you do have the ability to go in and change things if you want. That's neat. I, I see if that works. That It does seem like uh, and, and this article is kind of on the lengthier side, I think, because it tries to be more sort of, uh, comprehensive in a very high level sort of way. Um, mm-hmm. It does feel like if there is there a sample, oh, there is a sample project. I bet you that sample project hardly has any code in it because there's so much goodness that you get out of the box. Certainly a lot less boilerplate is what I'm inferring from reading this. Yeah. So there's two sections on, on in, the, in the WWDC videos that you're talking about, the collection views and advanced collection views, I think. Uh, Steve Breen was the presenter. He's the sort of senior iOS guy that I was talking about at the very beginning uh, of WWDC. The first, like the first video I actually watched, but he's the guy that sort of goes through and explains all this collection view stuff. So um, check those videos out for sure. 
I feel very vindicated eight years, eight iOS versions later (laughs) of me realizing way back when iOS 6 came out in 2012 and I was at that WWDC. Like, why would I ever want to use UI table view again? It should just be collection view all the time. And (laughs) the the state of the art has caught up to to my my thinking there. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I did the same thing. I came out of that. I was still looking for for, uh, analogs to what we did in the publishing world and um, collection view for me was much more uh, presentable in terms of like how you could build a cell and have you know all of your content graphically laid out as opposed to the limitations that you had with table views right so we we initially like right from the get-go back in 2012 we started using collection view we, we made like a photo grid view and we also did like an article view where you would see like a thumbnail of a story and you know some text underneath it and we did that all in collection view right from the very beginning so it was very confusing at first and thankfully ash wrote a book on it uh, which kind of cut through the clutter so yeah yeah remember when people um used to do funny things like all right table view by default yeah. used to add new content at the very tail end of the list which is useful but if you wanted to show the latest item at the top people right, i remember yeah. people doing things like running transformations to invert and then reflect <laughs> the 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 output of what was being drawn so that your table view would still functionally work the same but it would have right. the visual effect of the new content goes at the top for like a, like a twitter tweets sort of thing yeah 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 we actually had to put a um, one app i built i had to put the uh text view at the top and so when you went to create a new record it would just sort of create a new row that you could with the text field in it you could edit the information and then when you hit done it would just become the top row of the table view so that was that was challenging <laughs> yeah putting editable things like text fields and things like that inside table view cells never quite worked right out of the mm-hmm. box you always have to do a lot of tweaking and stuff to make it come out right for, for sure all right are we there is it the pick time i think we're there. all right so the first one i picked up here and this is this is i don't know this could almost be follow-up but I was uh, poking around. I forget where I stumbled across this, but um, it's a, a website or it's a Wikipedia page that lists the lists of Apple code names for various things. We were talking about, you know, Cougar and Puma and Jaguar and Panther and so on and so forth. Um, but this is listing off all kinds of all of Apple's products and the original sort of names for them. So um, the Apple Watch was originally called Gizmo, and this is this is the name inside inside of Apple, right? Um, let's see, like the Mac Two FX was. Zone 5, um, what's something relevant that people can sink their teeth into? Oh, the first MacBook was called Stealth. Um, the iPhone the iPhone had different names in Apple. Um, Actually, they're sort of wrong because there was no iOS 1 or iOS 2 or iOS 3, I believe. Mm. Was it iOS 3 well, we, or We don't know. They may, have been, they may have been inside of uh, inside of Apple, right? Well, the, no. There's, so, for example, they're saying iOS 1, version 1, was codenamed Alpine. Well, that would have been iPhone mm-hmm. OS version 1, right? Mm, true, yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. I'm yeah. When did it change? I think it was iOS four, or was it even iOS five? Three, three or three or four, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, I think somewhere it, yeah. in there. Yeah. I mean, does that end up being more of a chartsmanship thing? Of like, by the way, when we say iPhone OS, we yeah. mean what iOS used to be called before yeah. there was an iPad. I wonder yeah. if that was for simplicity's sake. You know, it is Wikipedia. We could change it, I guess, and then. 
get yeah. into Wikipedia entry fights with whoever <laughs> watching this page. So where I wanted to go with this is jumping down to the very almost near the bottom of the it's alphabetical, right? So M comes way after A. But uh, like you know, like the uh, things we talked about, um, uh, Capitan was was Gala. You know, Mac OS X Server One was Rhapsody. Um, Sierra was Fuji. Um, High Sierra was Lobo. Liberty was Mojave. C- Catalina was Jazz. Um, I guess these are like the sort of inside the inside Apple names, right? So I guess once they once they get released, they kind of leak out. I guess um, Apple Pay was called Stockholm originally. iCloud was called Ubiquity. Touch ID was called Mesa. You know, um, Mesa. Mesa. Okay. Um, you say potato, I say potato. Face ID sure. was Pearl. This interesting list of names here. All the different sort of in in house names of things over the years. We can argue about whether or not uh, <laughs> they're correct or not. But like oh, look, uh, was Catalyst for the Power Macintosh seventy two hundred, and right above that is Carl Sagan, the Power Macintosh yeah. seventy one hundred, which apparently leads me to law law lawyers are wimps related to the you know lawsuit Carl Sagan, Carl Sagan sued Apple over the use of that name I did not know that until I read the link <laughs> I was like oh interesting so he he's he basically got he heard about it and he and he he got upset and he he, he uh, threatened a lawsuit with them and then the uh, I think one of the developers came up with a, an alert sound and the alert sound is called Susumi so oh, Susumi so yeah. yeah yeah then there, then there are all the iPhone names which are incredibly boring like the yeah. 11 Pro Max is D43 right that followed the 11 Pro which was D42 yeah yeah I know that purple was the was the prototype name back in uh, back when they were working on it initially right mm, yeah prototype tablet it says in 2004 purple one interesting yeah I think I, I told you about this book I was reading um, by this uh, inside design guy who talks about designing the first keyboard for the mount for the iPhone and all that kind of stuff um, I had a copy of it here somewhere oh yeah create a selection I have it beside my desk here um, by Ken Kachida. Kachida? Anyway, I've talked about that before. Trinity was the Power Mac G4 Cube. Tsunami was a 9500. Now, it looks like they use these names again. They've had Yosemite for some of the Power Macs, right? Or, so, yeah, Power, Power Mac G3. Anyway, cool stuff. Check it out. If you're interested, that's my first pick. Oh, and this the second one. Technically, Jaime should get the shout out for this one because he posted it to our Slack. But uh, there, there's a group at uh, group of characters that Apple's calling the underdogs. Um, they did a thing about the round pizza box uh, a couple of months ago, and I don't, where was it? Until related to WWDC, I forget, or just before. Uh, but yeah, now they've got a whole sort of working from home um, video, very similar to that uh, Mythic Quest uh, home working from home episode they did. Um, but yeah, sort of the challenges of, of, you know, working from home and, you know, having your manager tell you what you're doing and whether or not, you know, Steve is wearing pants or not in the middle of the video. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, it's uh, just a kind of cool thing. It's really well produced, too, right? And pretty funny, eh? What do you think, Hummy? Yeah, it's a it's a longer, it, what's essentially, I mean, let's be honest, it's essentially an ad, but it's an entertaining ad, which is, I think, the right one because they, all of the different things that the, the people are going through in this very sort of haphazard project that's you know, uh, scrappy underdogs doing things by the skin of their teeth. They're making use of the various parts of sort of the Apple ecosystem, right? It's like, oh, measure this with your iPad. No, don't don't use your physical iPad as a as a very rough ruler. Yeah. Use the ruler use the tool app. in the iPad. They do a lot yeah. of that of like, oh, you may not realize that you have this feature and look how much better things could be for you, how much easier they could be if you did use them as part of your work life. Yeah. Or the one where the guy's looking at the the chart in in uh, numbers and he says oh my god the numbers are changing the chart's changing itself and they're like yeah relax gary it's a it's a shared document right 
Yeah, and there's definitely a lot of, of, of interesting stereotypes. I think between the two videos, I'm very interested in the way they present the finance person. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of a, a trope that I've seen in, in other... Uh, With the katanas media. behind him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like a very finance like budget, type of yes. person. And, and it honestly reminds me a little bit of the, the character who happens to be, I think, the chief financial officer in the Apple TV Plus series, uh, Ravens... Sorry, Mythic Quest, Ravens banquet the quest, yeah where there's sort of like a sociopathic kind of person which is a very interesting trope that they're able to get away with and i found it yeah. humorous um and uh you know they're pretty pretty good videos people have gotten uh, i think they've taken things a little too seriously they've been like oh like this is just you know uh enabling abusive environments like i don't think it was really meant to be that that he was supposed to be more of like kind of like a sitcom right of like all right mm-hmm. you know we've all had these somewhere in our career we've had these impossible odds and this is sort of the the a team equivalent of like all right we're going to do whatever we can to to do the impossible sort of thing so i I viewed it more positively and not necessarily as like hey managers this is how you should run your company right it wasn't meant to be a guy right right. because the the head manager or client or whoever that that uh executive is is very clearly not helping the team and the team is doing their best despite the odds yeah or the yeah she she comes on and and the, the team is saying should we tell her she's muted yet no let's just let it keep her going but um it's funny though this i take it more as like sort of how mac people work i mean like i remember you know back in like the early 90s carol and i had to go to barcelona to do a pitch to the olympic committee and we literally said okay let's pack up the mac and let's figure out how we take the mac with us we took a mac 2fx and a monitor and a large color printer with us and scanners and stuff like that and we were going to run around and take pictures and scan them in and use an early copy of photoshop to, to take the the stadium where the olympics was going to be and show them what the flags would look like because that's we were, we were doing flags and banners at the time and yeah we literally took we same sort of idea as this we just found out how to ship our mac to to barcelona and go, we took it to air canada cargo to, to get it shipped out there and yeah it was kind of same sort of craziness idea but you know back in the i guess we could call it analog computer days right so that's cool all right and then here's a quick hit i was talking about this a little bit earlier that uh, i've been watching this guy rick beato uh he's a, a music producer out of music musician music producer out of atlanta georgia and he started had this youtube channel which i've been watching uh, for the last year or so uh started out with a thing called what makes a song great and he takes a song and he breaks it down and and uh like he cut it shows you how the sort of intro was played out he talks about the chord progressions and the fingerings and all that kind of stuff and he plays some of the parts live and he has all these different ways of breaking down how hit records work and how they how they're made right but he's also got this uh this music theory uh, book that's behind his sort of business and um so the other day i was watching something that you know i've been i've been sort of a uh, i'm a self-taught musician and and i don't really i know music theory but i don't know it as well as mark does for instance right and so he uh last week did a quick uh, 30 minute video on the circle of fifths and uh, which is a music theory on how um how the you know the sharps and flats kind of are related to the 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 key that you're playing in and then he even goes into breaking down how the different uh modes work like how they're how they're sort of put together so you got the mixolydian and the uh, i can't remember the names now. i made notes but and if you want um, to know more about uh scales and modes on the iphone i know an app about that yeah there's an app called scales and modes you yeah. can get yeah but anyway so he breaks down how breaks that breaks down how uh you know sharps and flats work and like you know and how to like create the circle and and the position and it's like a clock you've got 12 positions and as you go around the clock that determines how many sharps or flats are in a particular key right like going clockwise is is you 
go towards the, the sharps and going counterclockwise is the flats, right? And and then I, I haven't got the, the, the order of the chords per, uh, memorized. It's like C something, blah, blah, blah. Mark probably knows it. Is there, is there a, like a, what do you call it when you have like a word, like every good boy deserves fudge? Is there a, a way mnemonic? Of, yeah, is there a mnemonic way of remembering the, the, the order circle for the circle of fifths? I, I just count. I, I, I don't know of count? a mnemonic now. <laughs> well, it's, it's always the fifth, right? So you start on C. Yeah. And the fifth of C is G. So that's the next note? So that's the, the next, next, next That's key? the next one in, in the circle, right? Oh. That's where the name comes from. Yeah. And then oh, for, the for, for G, right. the fifth is it's G, A, B, C, D. Right. Okay. Right. And then it just keeps going from there. Yeah. I'm going to open my notes here to see if I can. I did it in, uh, I used my pen to draw it because he was, he was using a whiteboard to show it. Yeah. So you got sharps and facts. And uh, yeah. So then it goes, it goes through how ma- major sevenths works and minor keys work um, and how they're kind of related. You know, got the first, the major, major, minor, minor, major, major, minor, diminished, right? Um, and mm-hmm. how you remember that kind of stuff. And then, um, like, yeah, yeah, so here's the modes. Ion- Ionian, Dorian, Peregian, I think. Phrygian. Phrygian. Phrygian, yeah. Linian. Phrygian. I'm trying to read my own handwriting right here. Mixolydian, uh, yeah. <laughs> Aeolian, yeah. and Loc- 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 Locrian. Locrian, right? Yeah. Locrian. And how they sort of Some people relate say to Locrian. I don't know what the correct Locrian. pronunciation is. I think yeah, how that Locrian. all kind of works, and then, and then how the minor keys work as well. And, yeah, and he has an interesting way of writing it down to sort of be learned. Like he uses the uppercase Roman character for majors and lowercase um, Roman yep. numerals for for minors. Is that normal? I don't yeah, know. that's pretty standard. Yeah. yeah, and then how triads work and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah, so if you're interested, in yeah. you're interested in uh, in music theory. He, like he just kind of goes through this quick one, you know, thirty minute uh, thing. It was a really small investment to sort of figure out something that I've been trying to figure out, trying to learn for years. But now I know it's the every fifth fifth one. Okay, cool. I learned something new today. There you go. All right, so that's my uh, my third pick today. And so, Jaime, what do you got for us? But before we go into my pick, since you were talking about mnemonics, um, music is not my thing, so I couldn't really participate there. But it did remind me of a couple of mathematical mnemonics that I probably will never forget for the rest of my life. Uh, the first one is, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, which <laughs> <laughs> is tells you the order of operations, meaning parenthesis mm. first, and then exponents, multiplication and division from left to right for precedence, addition and subtraction, right? So that, that the, the first letter of please excuse so my please dear excuse Sally my tells you dear which Aunt one, Sally. right? Parentheses, please, exponents, excuse, multiplication and division is my dear, and addition and subtraction is Aunt Sally. That's mm. one from elementary school, I'm sure, is, is what that, yeah. that feels like. Uh, a little bit, you know, closer in age, but not not by much as I, as I realize my, my, uh, my older age is, uh, Sokotoa from trigonometry, which tells you for a right triangle, the basic, uh, trigonometry ratios, I think is what they were, right? So, so S O H is a uh, sign is opposite and hypotenuse or over hypotenuse, right? That ratio. Ka C A H is cosine, which is adjacent and hypotenuse. Uh, again, these are ratios and Toa T O A is tangent, which is opposite over adjacent. So that's, it, I don't know why it's, Sticks so well, I guess, because Sokotoa sounds like um, like an island, American. yeah, or, or it sounds like Krakatoa in in, in yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know Roanoke kind of mystery sort of ways. But yeah, those mnemonics help. And there's, used to, and there's to, foil, right? Yeah, Remember first foil? inside, outside, last. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that's for that's for what do you call it, quadratic equations? Is that what you call those? It's related to that. Yeah. So it's it's when you multiply a plus b times c plus d. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you get a quadratic out of that. Yeah. 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 I remember there was there was one thing. Uh, 
uh, one thing I've lost totally is calculus, like how to differentiate or whatever they called it. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Back in the day, yeah, I, I, it's funny. Like I, I, I was pretty good. At, I mean, as good as good in, in math as I was in in art. But when I went to university, I went into art, and then then I thought, well, in my second or third year, I'll go back and do a math course to get one of my one of my electives out of the way. And I went and had to do this math test, and I hadn't done math in like two or three years. And man, you lose it fast. Mm. Yeah. So I've never never really gone been able to go back you to should. that. But I do remember Sokotoa. Yeah, you should try integration. Integration, man. If you haven't done that in a while, that's yeah. rough. Because there's all the all the different like integration by parts, partial fractions, all of those cosine or or trigonometric uh, integrals, all that crazy stuff. Oh yeah. Thank goodness for pcalc. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, it's because a friend of mine, um, Matthias, uh, he did a talk on a book called um, Math. I actually bought it, but I haven't read it yet. It's it's basically a math book for adults who haven't done math in a thousand years, right? So my books app, look it up while we're talking. So how many of you uh, dig in and give us your... Yeah. Mine is a blog post by Monica Powell that talks about how you can create a GitHub profile readme. So if you're a user of GitHub out there in the public interwebs and you wanted something to, to jazz up your profile to sort of give a hint of who are you and, and in many respects sort of lean into the idea that um, beyond the source code repository aspects of GitHub there's a very large social aspect to it and, and very focused social you know around uh, source and open source and etc. Uh, and she explains how, you know, this this isn't a, as far as I understand, a generally available feature. Um, it's not really truly in beta. I think they just have sort of uh, soft launched this idea of if you create a profile, sorry, if you create a repository with your username, like in my case, dev with a hair is my GitHub uh, username. You get a little, like, hey, you found this secret. You know, you can create this uh, readme a markdown file that uh, you can put anything you want there, text, links, cool. images, etc., and have a profile. In this case, uh, she's got really excellent branding where uh, she has a, a cartoon avatar and she's made like a, a nice little banner image, but she's got a, you know, how do you find me around the web? In my case, if you go to github.com slash dev with the hair, you can see that I have a photo of me speaking at uh, DevRelCon Tokyo uh, and also ways to connect with me on you know Twitter, LinkedIn, this very podcast, blog, uh, what I do for work, where I've been for conference talks, where I'm going. Uh, another plug for this very podcast so folks can know that we've uh, we've been doing this thing since 2014. And I've seen other people do uh, similar things. People are, are figuring it out. And it, it certainly is a nice little way to to get a sense of who somebody is. So I decided if, if only for... Uh, professional advertising purposes i've decided to, to use this i don't think it's mandatory by any means um in the spirit of folks you know thinking about uh job opportunities and etc i you know I, I very clear this is me turning to the camera and speaking to the hiring managers please don't discount candidates for not doing this that's silly right but <laughs> <laughs> on the same side uh for people who have done it you know you should get uh, a little bit of a hint of, of who they are as a person and, and that's sort of what i tried to get across in mind so so use that as a as an additive signal, not a oh well, look at this person. Like I don't really care that they're you know the number one contributor on you know uh, on Swift. Like whatever, they didn't have a profile, so you know throw their resume into their trash bin. Like no, you shouldn't do that. It shouldn't be a mandatory thing. I think it's a nice fun thing for people to express themselves and explain who they are. Cool. Try this out. I thought you were just talking about uh, making 
uh, readmes for your your actual repos, right? Oh no, there's like a whole separate pick that be, could, could be done for that. There are mm. uh, there's even a repository called Awesome Readmes that talks about various different readmes that are out there for for different open source projects that people have done really really good jobs with. Yeah, it's interesting too when you look at when you look at um, how people do contributions and stuff like that. Like you know, like I've been working for a corporation for the last four years, right? So my GitHub contributions are are look pretty sparse, you know. But if you jump back to 2013, it's like I was pretty busy, right? Because I was working for myself, right? So, and 2012, I wasn't even using Git, so... <laughs> yeah, when you work for a big company that has their own internal version control, it's hard to establish yeah. a big uh, GitHub presence unless you're doing a lot of outside stuff, yeah. which, yeah. which you know, it's hard to say whether that's a positive or negative indicator. If you're working for a company and spending all your time doing outside stuff, then how much work are you actually doing for your company? Right, 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 right. It, it is, so this is another opportunity for me to turn to the camera and talk directly to the hiring managers um, <laughs> and I'll use my own. So, you know, on my profile page, you see the, the contributions, the little waffle chart that they call it. Um, yeah. And it's, you notice uh, it, it looks kind of sparse from, you know, end of 2019, September ish going into to January. And it's like, Hmm, what happened there? Lopez is like, well, uh, similar to what you guys described. Like I used to work at places that didn't use GitHub, uh, the online service as mm-hmm. a repository. So guess what? It, it didn't show up my contributions, right? And mm-hmm. when you see like, oh, starting in January, there's all these contributions almost on a daily basis. In fact, in some of days and some weeks, really heavily. What happened though is like, that's me doing my job. <laughs> it turns out that I now work at a place that does use GitHub. So uh, again, these should be, I think, additional positive signals, but you shouldn't necessarily look at them as like, ah, oh, this is the, the barometer that every developer needs to have before you even consider hiring them. And I don't think it's one that you should just like, oh, you should just hire this person because look, their waffle chart looks really great. It's like, well, it's a signal, but it's a very weak signal and you really should talk to people about you sure. know, what's going yeah. on there. Cool. All right. Yeah, that's a good one. So that's it. No pick for Mark. Mark, you had uh, one, quick, right? Quick one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's halfway between follow-up and halfway pick. So last time I was I was wondering out loud, uh, how do you handle in Swift UI things like uh, notification center, notifications like, you know, will enter foreground or did enter background and things like that. Uh, and it's it's actually pretty pretty clear that uh, how you do it uh, because there is a something built in directly into Combine to do that. Uh, hmm. There is a publisher type, which is a notification publisher type, where when you create the publisher, you just create it with a notification name. Name. And so right. this, whenever that notification gets called, the the publisher itself will observe that notification and and be notified when the when that notification is called. And then the publisher can publish uh, whatever you want it to publish to your app. Cool. cool. Yep. So where did you put that in the notes? I didn't see that. I didn't put it in the notes. Oh. I just uh, you called an audible. My, you did it. You did an audible. audible. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yep. yep. All right. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week. So hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter. And I guess also on GitHub is at Dev with the Hair. <laughs> All right. And Mark, if people were in touch with you. Uh, Mark R at smapsoft.com. Although I think I'm going to have to stop, stop giving out that email because I'm starting to get a lot of spam. Not that, that Are you? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. That's sad. Yeah. Oh, well. So Mark, Mark Rubin at com. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll probably find me. So until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. 
If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. I mean, that's quick for, for us, for I guess. Because yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh, edited content, this is probably slightly under an hour, is what I would guess, just given yeah. what we have. But yeah. A lot of times we're pushing nine o'clock uh, by the time we finish. Well, I, think, I don't think we did like a 20 minute discussion beforehand, which we normally do, right? That's so, true. Yeah. We're yeah. all yeah. primed up and ready to talk this time. <laughs> it's fine, you know, just kind of go with it. I, I think that's part of the, the charm of the show for folks who've, who've talked to me about it, that it's, uh, there are more heavily produced shows out there for sure um, yeah. and ours is 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 not completely free form there is some structure to it but it's still more of a conversation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i've watched a bunch of those uh, rick Cabido videos as well they're good have you yeah mm-hmm. yeah mostly the you know analyzing a song once what makes a song great yeah i mean he does, he does some live thing i mean he's doing a lot of the sort of live stuff and i don't know but yeah he's he's, he's been promoting that book as you know for a while right so oh the B- rick the beato book oh i didn't notice that because i i I haven't watched one in a while, but I used to watch one. Yeah, sort of new. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, he did one the other day on on how YouTube is like just driving him crazy by putting ads in the middle of everything, right? So, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. I don't know where I don't know where he came from, but he just out of the blue. There's a lot of a lot of um, people I've been watching. Like, I actually was working on my furnace. I finally figured out what the problem with my furnace was, right? Um, and again, it was like another. I found this one guy. Um, I think he's in Minnesota or something like that. A young guy called a word word of advice, and he basically breaks down exactly how a furnace works and he'll like if you want to learn how to change your blower motor or he's got a whole video on that or uh, check out your compressor or even use like how to use a multimeter to test your your, your components and then all the sort of stages that your um, furnace go through when they when they fire up or your AC right and um, yeah so anyway I went because <laughs> I was trying to figure out why my, my band motor was not coming on I went and bought a motor from Amazon and switched it in and you know com- com- um, capacitors and all that kind of stuff and I had the wrong size capacitor and he, but he, there was in a video where he explains how to put, you know, two capacitors together to make a bigger one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I went through all that stuff and then, then finally I just, even after doing, putting it all in and figuring it out, like he even showed how to test the motor outside of the furnace, right? Well, I did that. It was working fine. I'm like, well, why am I changing this motor? It does seem to work. What, what's going wrong? And finally, like, uh, you know, at the, at the 11th hour there when I was just about to give up, I, un- I undid the logic board from the, from the furnace and sure enough, there's a big black mark where something shorted out on the back of the board, right? And that's probably what the problem was all along. It's probably something was just shorting out all the time, right? And that's why my furnace has been goofy. So that was a good thing. And then, you know, who knew you could learn this stuff on YouTube, right? So lots of fun. Mm-hmm. What else is new? Watched uh, Greyhound on Apple TV Plus. 
Oh, I haven't watched that one yet. Is it good? Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say it's great just to set expectations. Um, right. I think right. I would have felt differently had I had to, you know, go see this in the theater in the original release as they had planned uh, pre-COVID. Right. But it's actually a really, really solid movie, I think, for Tom Hanks. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, before I go back into what I watched, but Jonathan was just saying that uh, Lower Decks is coming out soon. Are we going to do that, he said? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's coming out on uh, August 6th, I want to say. Is it? Oh, pretty soon? Okay. All right. Well, we'll crank up the Spock cast engine again. Yeah, we can do um, that. I'm still jealous of you guys with your 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 socialized access to Star Trek, and I have to pay. Oh, really? <laughs> I have to pay six dollars a month. <laughs> well, we have to pay for cable, so it's not like we get it for free, really. But so yeah, we get healthcare and Star Trek. Um, oh wait, there's a new Star Trek? Is it Discovery again? No, this is no, the, Lord, the animated series. Oh. It's kind of more like oh, a like a Rick and Morty style of uh, yeah. of cartoon series in the Star Trek oh, universe. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, there's also, also the Rick and Mortys too, which haven't, we haven't done all those yet. But um, but I watched uh, Knives Out and Gemini Man and the the, the Fred Rogers movie on um, Amazon Prime. And I watched Jumanji: The Next Level, which is the third movie in that series. It's actually pretty good. You know, like the second one was 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 better than the first for sure. I don't know if you've seen any of those movies at all. Yeah, I've seen the the original Jumanji with Robin Williams and the. Was it in, Into the second, Jungle? Yeah. Or for the, yeah, the second into, one with uh, The yeah. Rock and etc. Yeah, and uh, Amy Pond, who used to be um, Doctor Who's companion, Karen um, Gillian. Gillian? Gillian, who's one of the doctors. Uh, Matt, Matt Smith's uh, companion. Was the the new Jumanji, the, the third one with um, Danny Glover? In, is that one on, on Prime? Is, yeah, did Danny I Glover, you? Danny DeVito, and um, uh, and Rock, and, and uh, Jack Black, and uh, Kevin Hart. Right, and, uh, but Karen that was on Prime, or did you end up having to rent it? On Prime, on Prime. Oh, cool! I have to check that out. Check yeah, don't you, you get Prime? I do have Amazon Prime, and you yeah. mentioned another one that, that you watched on Prime as well. Gemini Man. What's Gem? Oh, the w- Will Smith, right? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. I've, I've seen that one. That's, that's- There's also the the marvelous Miss Maisel. Is three seasons of that? Yeah, that's that actually one. really good. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the High Castle Man in High Castle. Yeah, first couple of seasons of that were good. Yeah, the, yeah. It kind of got tired. Last season was kind of <laughs> meh. Yeah. Yeah. They changed the. T- tone of the show from yeah yeah well yeah i won't go on boiler yeah yeah it kind of got silly it got, yep. got sort of star stargate-ish right yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah for sure it did yeah yeah and i never really got into i got i liked the stargate movie but i never really got into the tv show so yeah me neither yeah or atlantis or whatever i did i watched the one what was the one where they had uh, they were on a ship and it was traveling through and they canceled it early but uh they had a stargate and they were um it was a new take on the, the whole stargate thing but sg1 know. um there was no. uh, the uh, Conquest or something had that sort of name. Yeah. Go hit IMDb and look it up. I can't remember the name of the guy who was in it. Uh, Gemini Man was interesting. It was, it was a bit tiring at a bit, but then it, you know, sort of an, it was very obviously it was an angly movie after you watched it, right? <laughs> It had, it had uh, some of those those tell, tell signs, yeah. Yeah, Atlantis Universe, Target Universe. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's Babylon Five. I'm thinking of that had a, a spinoff that was called like Intrepid or Conquest or some hmm. some name of that sin. Hmm. Yeah, Stargate uh, Universe is only on for two seasons, and they kind of left them out there in the middle of nowhere. Can't believe it. Well, the ship blew up one day, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they didn't want to show it on TV because they didn't want to. Yeah, or like the Event Horizon. The Event Horizon was a great movie until well, actually, it doesn't hold up because they had the really early cheesy CG ga- CG graphics, computer graphics in there. But uh, it was a good concept until until you know the devil showed up and made them do everything. 
that's a tiring trope. Um, the the you know bounty we have of of content. I'm, I'm very close. I have one more show that I need to, in my own mind, mm-hmm. validate the concept of subscribing for one month to Disney Plus because I, I knew oh, yeah? that the Mandalorian I wanted to watch. But it, I've only watched the first episode of the making of on that one. Have you watched any of those yet? No, because I haven't wanted to subscribe to Disney Plus because oh. I, there, there's like. Yeah, I kind of need three for that one, right? Like I'm so willing, what's, I'm what's willing the, to, you know, lean into my Star Trek fandom and say, all right, CBS, you yeah. get my six bucks for a singular show, right? And I even did that for the the short treks the first year that those came out. Yeah. Um, for Disney Plus, I'm like, all right, there's not going to be enough new content for me. I don't have young children around who are going to watch the heck out of you know the whole Disney catalog. So, but the black holes on there, Jaime. Yeah. Anyway, right. Yep. So, so I was like, all right, the first one that that checks the boxes, The Mandalorian. Second one yeah. is Hamilton, which, you know, I had oh, debates really? with a significant other of like, you know, is it enough? No, it's not enough for you. All right. So it's not enough for me either. So let's one more show. One more show would, would do it for me on Disney Plus. Hmm. And then I could subscribe for one month. You have all the Star Wars, Star Wars stuff. Yeah. But like, I don't know if you've noticed during the pandemic, but here like TBS or one of those other channels like shows oh, yeah. those on like Marathon, those in Harry Potter. Right, like you, right. If it's a weekend, you turn them on and one of those two series is on. So I don't need those so strongly. Um, I'm also very close for, for Hulu, given that uh, need to catch up on um, like second or third season. I don't know how many seasons there are of The Handmaid's Tale. Um, mm-hmm. There's stuff that like Jonathan had talked about, like Runaways. And um, now that the Orville is delayed, I think, until 2021, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. I'm waiting to see, like, you know, what do people think of that? Um, what's that Space one? Force? No, no. Um, oh, Space Force. I watched Space Force. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Was, it wasn't great, though. Yeah, but then the Hugh Laurie one was pretty good, too. That one, is that you're thinking of, me? Atlantis or something like that? or Is this for the Stargate one? House, the one with House, the guy who plays House. I don't even vaguely remember the the people. I just remember there was some some spinoff thing for like Battlestar, uh, not Battlestar, uh, Babylon Five Space? or or Stargate. Oh, uh, yeah, it's probably, it's probably this one you're thinking of, Hugh. Hmm. And uh, Peacock, I think, started today, if I'm not mistaken. That's NBC's streaming service that, unlike the others, does have a free ad-supported tier. Mm. Uh, and I think they give you teasers. Avenue 5, is that what you're thinking of? Avenue 5, is that the one? Oh, that one, yeah. Mm, no, it doesn't. I, I watched have, you guys watched, have you watched Catch-22? The movie from the 70s? I read the, I read the book. No, no, they've redone the series. Oh, the mm-hmm. book. Yeah, I watched the first series, or a bunch of them, but they've. Uh, I gotta find them streaming somewhere now. Yeah, maybe it got canceled. I don't know. But it's gonna be funny though because I keep thinking about this. We haven't. Carol saw the other, the other day an ad for uh, Hyundai. Hyundai, I think. Um, somebody was coming up to a security gate, and the security guard got out, and he's wearing a mask and lets them in. Like they don't say anything about the fact he's wearing a mask. They just like open the gate and let the the driver in or whatever, right? So it's the first sort of public content stuff she's seen that's got a reference to what's going on in the world right now. Like other than you know the the um, Mythic Quest did their sort of working from home episode, and they did they talked to them on uh, as one of the WWDC videos about making that right. But um, they had like a Q and A with like I guess that was sort of like their lunchtime thing that they used to do at WWDC. But um, we haven't really sort of seen any sort of you know, pandemic based TV shows yet, right? Like sitcoms or whatever, right? You know, like Will and Grace working from home 
kind of thing. <laughs> there haven't been too many. There's been a, a handful of, you know, I, like I think Parks and Recreation might have come back for, oh, right. for one episode. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, 30 Rock is coming back for one episode to Are for they? the launch of mm. uh, Peacock. Um, and you're right. Like, it, I haven't seen the Parks and Rec one, so I can't speak to that one. The the Mythic Quest one uh, mm-hmm. was, was brilliant because it fits very much with the, the way that the show was written. It lends itself right. well. Um, like, you know, it, it, it's a little bit more difficult if you have a show, you know, like if Seinfeld was still in the air, or Frasier was still in the air, it'd be uh, rather challenging to make that kind of show really fit yeah. with a, a, yeah. a pandemic working from home one. But software company that yeah. happens to make games... Okay, yeah, go. Because, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 they could realistically do their work from there. And, and how would they struggle with that? Yeah. Well, stayed but, um, hmm, can't remember. There was another another work from home show. Oh, Saturday Night Live did a work from home episode, right? I think they did a couple episodes. Yeah, did they? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, uh, it was uh, Tom Hanks was the host. I think right? craziness. What's happening in the world of your politicians? Should we stop recording now. <laughs> it's probably a good spot. Let's let's do that.